Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Matt Corey of BP Boston to discuss the carnage that has occurred over the first two games of the Red Sox playoff series. Matt, how you doing, man? I'm doing okay, Jake. Uh, considering what we've just watched, I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Um, I think that, at least for me, I was not expecting a deep playoff run this year. So um, I feel almost numb to what has occurred so far, uh, which is kind of a funny way to to feel after back-to-back, what, 8-2 to two losses? Were they both 8-2? to two? Yeah, the Red Sox did us the favor of uh, picking one score and sticking with it just to make it easier to remember. Yeah, see, that that's how much my brain is like not paying attention is that I don't even remember the final scores of these things, only that they've been really uh, terrible uh, to watch. And sort of all of the worst things that I thought could happen have occurred. Um, and yeah. maybe we should have known from the jump, though. When when Eduardo Nunez went up there and took one swing and collapsed in a pile of his own uh, broken knee, um, it was just a bad omen, right? Yeah, things did not start off well. That's definitely definitely true. There, I mean, by just about any objective measure, the Astros are a stronger team than the Red Sox. The the odd thing about this. And, oh, and and so, you know, when you put two teams together to play a short series, almost any outcome can really happen. 
obviously the more common outcome is that the better team beats the lesser team. So, you know, this we're, we're sort of in the realm of the expected in that sense. Um, what I would say is that, you know, like you hinted at, everything has been entirely one-sided, um, you know, to, to the extent that you would think that, you know, the Red Sox were the, I don't know, pick, pick your horrible team, the Detroit Tigers. Um, I mean, this is what you would expect if you put the Astros and the Tigers in a playoff series together, right? Two teams going in opposite directions, one who doesn't look like they're very good at really anything. They can't hit, they can't pitch, they can't field, and the other team just crushes them repeatedly, home run, home run, double, double, home run. That's what's going on, except the Red Sox are actually not the Tigers. They're a 93-win team, baseball team, that are, is, uh, you know, in theory, pretty good. Um, and actually not even in theory. I mean, they are pretty good. This is this is two bad, uh, two bad games, and unfortunately these are – Two bad games that count an awful lot. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if you wanted me to address Nunez as, as far as he goes. I mean, his season's over. His time with the Red Sox is probably over, too. Um, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, what his medical condition really was before he stepped into that batter's box. I mean, you'd have to think that, you know, the Red Sox wouldn't want to put him in there, uh, you know, as a free agent to be with, you know, any chance of, or increased chance of, of, you know, serious injury. Um, you hope that they did right by the player and, uh, and, and didn't subject him to, uh, you know, in, in increased risk of injury in, in, in the face of, of the contract he was about to sign. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but, you know, I don't think any of us really knows the answer to, to that, uh, except the Red Sox and, and Nunez. So hopefully, uh, I mean, you know, we, we may learn based on how Nunez and the Red Sox deal with each other during the offseason. If Nunez shows no interest in returning, that might be our answer. Um, but and definitely an unfortunate sort of uh, start to the to the game. But, you know, and it's easy to go, oh, OK, well, that was that was foreshadowing. I mean, that was a giant bucket of crap that, that we stepped in just to start. But there were nine other innings to go or, you know, eight and a half or whatever. Sure. Um, it's not like the game was over at that point. There was there was lots of baseball to be played. Yeah, and it wasn't entirely to be uh, completely unexpected either because Nunez had kind of come back uh, maybe a week before the playoffs and not felt very good and then took some right. more time off. And, um, you know, everybody kind of knew that that leg wasn't 100%. So when he collapsed, we were kind of like, ah, oh, you know, that's – that's really unfortunate, and it really sucks for a guy who came in in the second half and was such an important part of the Red Sox' success. Yeah. Um, so you don't want to see him go out that way, but you know, there's that. It, that is one of the things that was a possibility and was sort of on the table. Um, and I think the the larger point here is that the Red Sox have just seemed to have the perfect storm of events uh, happen to them in a negative way. Um, their stud starting pitchers over the first two games in Sale and Pomerantz uh, have not performed very well uh, for a number of reasons, which we will discuss on this show. And at the same time, they're running into a Houston Astros team that uh, has the fourth best weighted runs created, plus uh, a fan graph stat that kind of encapsulates 
hitting uh, in general as a team. They have the fourth best in the last 100 years behind the Murderer's Row Yankees of 1927, the 1930 version of those same Yankees, and the 1931 version. Um, So this is a historically great offense going against a Red Sox starting pitching staff that is um, a little bit on its last legs. So let me recap what has sort of occurred here in the first game for everybody. Uh, Sale gets the start in game one. Bregman home run has a home run off of Sale. Altuve has two shots off of Sale. Sale gives up three doubles, two to Evan Gaddis, one to Marwin Gonzalez, and he closes the book with seven earned runs. Uh, we kind of saw this coming from Chris Sale because over the course of the year, uh, we've seen him have the best ERA in baseball to losing the Cy Young vote with from August on, essentially. In August, he had a 438 ERA. In September, he had a 372 ERA. And the thing that we kept noticing was that his pitches didn't look uh, all that similar uh, to, to what they looked like um, from July from the start of the year to July. And I looked into it on Brooks Baseball, and the lack of depth that he has on his slider uh, since April is startling. He went from a negative 2.73 on the scale all the way down to a negative 1.32 in his last start, which was the least amount of depth that he's had on his slider all year. Uh, And that was in the playoffs. And it was very apparent that these guys were just realizing that his slider wasn't a very good pitch and they were waiting for it. Um, his other pitches, the four seam, the change up, they don't look tremendously different than they did at other periods of time when he was having success. But for a guy who works very quickly, who relies on that str- that slider to be one of his out pitches to not have that weapon. And in fact, have it be a pretty, uh, pretty crappy pitch right now. I think it's fair to say it's been a pretty crappy pitch since August on, um, it's not. I guess it's not that surprising uh, that that sale is getting hammered right now. And I think you have to look to uh, this this overwhelming pattern of durability um, that Chris Sale has because his, in his career he does tend to lose depth in this pitch uh, later in the year, and his arm slot changes a little bit. So um, I don't know how the Red Sox are going to work on this going forward, but it's certainly something that they're going to have to monitor because. They need him at this time, and they need him to have good depth on that pitch. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's a mechanical tweak or, uh, you know, the obvious sort of second guessing is that he's thrown so many innings this year and really over, you know, his career um, that, you know, that it, it's taking a toll on him. And and you know, we've we've heard before that. You know, Sale is a is a guy who tends to wear down um, as the uh, you know as his year goes on. Um, almost got it here. Um, where is it? Ah, yeah, his his ERA in the uh, actually, you know what? This is interesting. His uh, by FIP, um, he's got a 273 FIP in the first half of the season and a 324 in the second half. Um, by XFIP, which is uh, normalized for home runs, um, he's got a 297 in the first half and a 299 in the second half. Um, that's pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, the strikeouts are up a little bit, 
um, in in the uh, second half. His walks are up a really tiny bit in the second half. This is over the life of his career, not just this year. Mm-hmm. So there's not a huge difference between first half and second half sale over the life of his career. This year, it is quite different, um, as you talked about. So, you know, I I don't know again if if um, if this is something. I mean, you would like to think the Red Sox would be monitoring him, you know, and uh, you know pulling back on the reins a little bit if uh, you know if he's overdoing it, if they're overworking him. But you know, they definitely didn't pull back on the reins. I mean, they they kept running him out there. I mean, Farrell you know, specifically left him out there for a hundred pitches or whatever it was, uh, you know, a game before the playoffs. Um, I guess maybe to, for the 300 strikeout, I'm trying to remember exactly the reason. I think that was it. Um, which is a fantastic achievement. But again, you know, if, if this team does nothing in the playoffs except get humiliated three times, then, uh, that's, I mean, I don't know, maybe that doesn't lessen the 300 strikeout, but it certainly makes the season a lot less memorable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it certainly does. And, it was after that point that Sale gave up those seven runs that the Red Sox really didn't have a chance. I mean, they had a, a few other positives uh, happen in that game. Um, Benintendi had some really ridiculously good at-bats against Justin Verlander where he seemed to waste, like, about 50 pitches uh, of Justin Verlander's. Yeah. Uh, he spoiled a ton of good pitches. That was awesome. Um, sort of reminded me of classic early 2000s Red Sox at-bats. Um like a Tony Damon kind of thing? Yeah, just wasting a ton of pitches. That used to be the MO for the Red Sox. Right. Uh, and then Hanley and Mookie had two hits each in that first game. Sandy Leone also had two hits. Um, so there were some positives. But when you start off in a seven-run hole to the best offensive team that we've seen uh, in uh, since 1931, um, it's, it's not a great situation to be in, especially when you're opposed by Justin Verlander. Yeah, it's true. Um, so the, there was a couple of themes. I, I wrote about game one for BP Boston, um, and uh, and there were a couple of themes that sort of stood out to me as, you know, looking at the series, what the Red Sox would need to do to win at the beginning, and then if you sort of analyzed any of those things uh, <laughs> through the first game and, and through the second as well, um, you know, the, most of them went, uh, went the other way. Uh, one of those things was... John Farrell's, uh, you know, pitching management. Um, and I wanted to get your take on this, Jake. We haven't discussed this ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, certainly in, in game two, Farrell was a lot more, uh, a lot, lot quicker on, on the, you know, on, on, for pitching changes. Um, he let um, Pomerantz uh, just go, what was it, like, yeah, two innings. I mean, two and then some batters. And then when you know when it looked like things were really getting away from him, he went to Carson Smith. Right. Uh, and then Smith didn't have it, and then so he went quickly to David Price. Um, and I think that's you know I, I I applaud that. I think that's exactly what he needed to do, uh, especially in in game two. But he really should have done it in game one also. It wow. is my uh, my contention. Um, you know, by the time he pulled sale, the Red Sox were down seven to two. And that, you know, that game is not over, but it's pretty close. Um, and yes, I know it's Chris Sale, but I I think that Farrell needed to be quicker uh, to get Sale out of there and get a guy like Price into the game to try to keep it close. Um, I think 
honestly, I would have taken Sale out after he gave up that double to Marwin Gonzalez in the fourth inning. Um, that would have left him with three and two-thirds innings. Houston Astros got back-to-back But it up. also um, it would have put a stronger pitcher into the game to try to keep it close. I mean, we know the Red Sox only scored two that that game, but they had five more innings to go at that point. Um, that's a lot of outs. That's a lot of chances to score. You want to keep the game as close as you can, and when your starting pitcher doesn't have it, whether it's a sale on the back of his uniform or not, I think you got to you got to get him out of there. Um, Farrell didn't do that. What was the, the score at that point when when they decided to leave him in there after Marin Gonzalez? So after that double, it was it was uh, four to two. Four to two. Okay. Four to, um, and then uh, Farrell left put, left him back out there in the in the fifth. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gave up another home run and then he left him back out there in the sixth. Um, and that's when the Astros scored two more. And at that point you're, you're at seven. Well, um, he wasn't in for the, uh, the last two runs that he was credited to because, oh, okay. uh, All right. Kelly, the, the runners were on base, but I believe yeah. those ended up, uh, Oh, it was a double and a walk or something, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. That's yeah. what it was. So yeah. when he left the game, they had scored five runs, so he pulled them after one more run and a couple of base runners. After that, I guess that's the other thing is is putting in Joe Kelly in that in that spot, which is just a you know a, a massive blunder if you ask me. But um, but I guess it, let's stick with the with the issue here uh, that I brought up initially, which is when when do you think was the right time to to take Chris Sale out? Do you think Farrell did the did it at the right time? Um. So when I was watching the game, I didn't think uh, necessarily after the Marwin Gonzalez double that like, mm-hmm. all right, give this guy the hook right now. You know, you have to take him out. Um, at at four to two there, I was still kind of feeling like, all right, maybe Chris Sale can get himself out of this because yeah. I I believe that I'm just so conditioned right now from seeing Sale all year pitch out yeah. of. Uh, these types of situations, even with men on base, I don't really worry because, hey, 308 strikeouts, you know, he's yeah. he just has it. And I think that uh, I'm not viewing him as Chris Sale right now, the fatigued Chris Sale with a flat slider. I'm still kind of thinking of him as the the good pitcher who he was for the majority of the year. So at that point, I didn't have this sense of outrage and after the the fifth run i was definitely with Farrell when he took him out and i was like hey you know that that makes a whole ton of sense but i agree with you that putting in joe kelly there who in my estimation is probably uh was probably your your sixth or seventh choice uh, depending yeah. on what he thought of uh austin maddox um in that bullpen to go to was sort of like conceding the game in in my eyes with men on base i mean the the metrics do back up um john farrell in that situation though because surprisingly um and this shocked me as much as it might shock you to hear this right now joe kelly has actually been his best self uh with men on base and men in scoring position this year he's been one of the tougher relievers on the team uh, Mm -hmm. in that situation um but at the same time like hey, I know he's been great there, but it's Joe freaking Kelly right now in a playoff game with men on base. Um, yeah. and, and when you have all those other options there, um, yeah, I didn't like that move. I think that that's a fair argument, though, for you to have wanted him to be pulled uh, after that Marwin Gonzalez um, double. But 
I I don't know that that defines the game, especially when his plan after that was, hey, Joe Kelly. You know, I think it it would have right. made more sense to go right to Price right there after the right. Marlon Gonzalez thing. I would have gone straight to Price if that was me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I would have. I mean, if it's possible that, and this was brought up on Twitter, that you know Price would take longer to warm up because he's not you know generally conditioned out of the to, to work out of the pen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, so if there's if there is more time needed, then yeah, maybe you warm up somebody else and bring them into the game first, like you know, like he did in game two, um, with with Carson Smith, who has you know been pretty impressive since coming back from injury. Um, but I I would point out that if you look at um, the win probability chart for game one, mm-hmm. and uh, you know where it it lists the the biggest uh, the plays that had the most um, impact on the outcome of the game by far it's that double by Marwin Gonzalez hmm. now I'm not saying that you would take sale out before that right. um, <laughs> uh, but that was an incredibly impactful at bat um, certainly based on the way that the rest of the game played out but but also based on the way that the first four innings played out um, that was that was the thing that you know, really drove the stake into the Red Sox for that game. And um, what was know, the I, win probability at that point after the Gonzalez double? After, uh, let's see, fifth, no, I'm misreading this. Sorry, uh, 22% for the Red Sox. So I guess that then begs the question that how much does it matter that Farrell? doesn't pull him there versus pulls him after the fifth run, you know, like 22% versus what are we talking? 22% versus 8% after that. Right. Uh, So I I agree. That's the, one of the arguments is, well, the game is, is already lost at that point. And so you want to prepare for the next day. So you don't want to use David price because you want to use him tomorrow. Right. Uh, And Chris sale is Chris sale. And so you want to leave him out there. I would I would argue that you don't have that luxury in the in a five game playoff series. Mm. You have to try to win every game as much as you possibly can, and while twenty five percent or whatever the number is, um, isn't much. It's a lot more than zero, right? Uh, which is where they got to by the seventh inning, just about. Mm-hmm. So everything that he did after that double, up until about the the seventh inning obliterated the Red Sox chances of a comeback more or less right um, and, the, and the pen was by and large pretty solid for the rest of that game so yeah well yeah I mean no I'm talking about the, the fourth inning after the Gonzalez uh, double yeah between that and and when Kelly gave up you know the extra sale runs and the right. home run Altuve and all that other stuff um, Houston scored another four runs in that time period so, you know, you go from four to two where you think, OK, the Red Sox have you know, maybe a shot at this somehow, um, because honestly, like Verlander did not look that impressive to me. You know, no. he was he was throwing some off speed meatballs up in the zone. I mean, he, his fastball had some you know kick to it for sure. He's Justin Verlander. Um, but he was, you know, getting uh, getting behind in counts. He was walking guys. He looked like he was, you know, ready for the Red Sox to do some work on him, and and they just didn't or couldn't. Um, but in any case, um, I think uh, 
my contention is Sale needed to come out earlier, and then you needed to go to somebody a lot better than Joe Kelly. Um, yeah, I, I think those are fair assessments of it. But by and large, um, I think the the thing that we're we're still looking at here is that this team is just a batter too short. Um, they just don't have the weapons to be able to yeah. uh, compete right now. And uh, I went on a podcast um, to talk about playoff previews for the Red Sox, and they asked me, you know, how do the Red Sox win this series? And I was like, well, their starting pitchers need to pitch uh, up right. to their talent level. And the offense needs to do what it's supposed to do because I don't even really consider the bullpen to be all that much of an X factor. Like we know what this unit is. It's been top five in terms of uh, war and ERA and FIP like pretty much the entire year. So the bullpen has been solid. Uh, yeah. It's just yeah. it's the studs need to be studs. And I think that we're, we're seeing a few guys. We're seeing Mookie Betts do what he's supposed to do. Uh, we're seeing Ben Intendi have good at bats, even though the result isn't there. But uh, by and large, we're we're just not seeing these guys step up. I think w- when you look at Game Two as well, and I want to kind of move on to Game Two here. Sure. Um, Pomerantz uh, got the quick hook, like you mentioned, and I think that was absolutely the right thing to do. Pomerantz ended up giving up two blasts, uh, that big one to Correa, and then another one to Springer. Um, but Pomerantz, to me looked like he just faced a good offense more than it looked like Pomerantz was really bad. And I was looking at his velocity because that's been a a big concern uh, over the last few months is, oh, you know, Pomerantz's velocity has been down. But his velocity uh, on his fastball, on his uh, sinker, um, those pitches were higher than it had been uh, basically since the end of August. Um, so it, it wasn't really velocity that was an issue. I just think that he ran into some really good hitters. Um, I don't know that you're – I mean, Correa and Springer are awesome. Yeah. It's, it's just like – it's tough. This this offense is just relentless. And we saw a few other positives. Um, Betts, Vasquez, Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, had some hits in those games. But – you know, we haven't seen anything from Bogarts. We haven't didn't see anything from Hanley in game two. Um, you know, the the third base situation hasn't given them anything. Uh, it, and, and then the relief pitching after um, Pomerantz was taken out, Carson Smith, Addison Reed, Eddie Rodriguez, they were all really bad yesterday. Yeah. So um, yesterday felt more like an unwinnable game than game one did to me, um, even though um they ended up playing out with with similar scores i I guess i just nothing really went right for the team yesterday yeah no that's absolutely correct i mean both games i mean honestly went really wrong and they both went wrong pretty quick it wasn't like the astros you know scored six runs in the you know bottom of the eighth or something i mean the both those games were over you know by the sixth inning easily if not earlier um, I guess we haven't talked about Altuve having three home runs against us either. That was pretty ridiculous. Altuve is fantastic. Um, but I, I sent out a, a tweet about you know pitch location, and I looked at where the location of the pitches were that Altuve hit, and they were all right over the middle of the plate. One of them was slightly elevated, um, still in the strike zone, close to the middle. You know, if you have the strike zone as nine, cut it into nine equal boxes. Mm-hmm. The first two home runs were both in that center box. Mm. Now, it's not to say that a good pitcher can't ever throw a pitch there. Right. Uh, 
obviously sometimes batters take a pitch or they miss one, um, especially if it's got deception and movement, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you know, to a guy like Altuve, that's probably a box that you want to stay out of. Um, and that's exactly where those pitches went. Um, you know, that, excuse me, that happened to, um, Pomerantz, um, you know, in game two and, uh, it was the, uh, Rob Maines actually wrote about this uh, at Baseball Prospectus, um, how Pomerantz threw a pitch that was right over the plate to um, Correa, and it was fouled back. And then he threw another pitch to the exact same location, and Correa hit it over the wall. Um, so <laughs> sometimes you get away with those, but you can't make that same mistake again. Um, so I think we've seen, you know, almost like you said in the beginning – you know, a, uh, a really good team, you know, firing on all cylinders and another good team pretty much doing the exact opposite. Um, and it's sort of a shame that this version of the Red Sox is, is going to disappear in this sort of, you know, immediate glug, glug, glug of the, of, uh, you know, drowning in the postseason. I, I am hopeful that game three will show some of why this team has been such a joy to follow this year, you know, um, or at least keep it close through the first six innings. <laughs> but I yeah, know. I mean they they certainly have a shot uh, in game three. You we're we're gonna get Doug Fister, who you know has been throwing pretty well over the last month or Matt, I'll say yeah, two months. Nine ERA in his last in his last four starts. Well, his last start was really good though. His, yeah. his his start right before the postseason and I think that you know the reason John Farrell chose him and makes sense John Farrell former pitching coach of the Red Sox uh, his two seam has been really really good uh, yeah. over the last couple months and he can keep a good offense in check if he um, yeah, we've seen it before. has his stuff so yep. um, and, and the pitcher that he's going to be opposing is uh, Brad Peacock who has had a really good year he's striking out almost 11 guys per nine but he's beatable because Brad Peacock walks almost four guys per nine as well. So the Red Sox are a team that could take advantage of that. They have a very patient offense. It's not the most explosive offense in the world, but um, they know how to take pitches, and we've seen that, you know, over and over and over again. So uh, even they, in this series, they I mean, they, they had a bunch of walks in in you know in this series. They've uh, where is it? They had well, only two walks in the first game. So I'm full of shit. They had six walks in the second game. There you go. Yeah. I mean, that was, they had three walks in the second game. That was the Astros. Ah, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) The name of the team was right above and I just looked right down to the total. All right. Well, you know, so much for hope. It's all horrible. (laughs) (laughs) So much for hope. But no, I mean, let's, let's, uh, let's go to fantasy land for a minute here. And, um, Say they win game three. Say Fister pitches really well and, um, you know, Brad Peacock doesn't do so well and they get to take advantage of the Red Sox uh, really good bullpen and the bullpen yeah. comes in after Fister, shuts him down, and they take a game. Um, how then do they go on and win the rest of the series? Like what needs to happen for them after game three uh, for, for this thing to turn around? Because it's certainly going to be a tall order at this point. Yeah, um, I, I I'm struggling with the answer to that question. Um, so I just looked up the Astros uh, season results, 
And, you know, since September 12th, they've lost one, two, three, four games and won like 20. Um, but before that, um, they played a four game series in Oakland and they lost all four. They lost the first game nine to eight. They lost the second 11 to one, the third 11 to four and the fourth 10 to two. In other words, against a not very good team, they got completely destroyed. Um, so this, you know, it can happen. Uh, that said, you know, you need everything that has gone bad for the Red Sox to go well. I, I, I saw some real growth from Farrell, I hope, um, you know, in his management uh, of, the, of the pitching staff in, in the second game. Um, I would hope and expect that if Fister doesn't have it, um, that he will be gone really fast. Um, and I think that is the kind of the kind of thing that Farrell is going to have to do, you know, this entire rest of the series. He's going to have to, you know, pull a Terry Francona um, and bring in all the right guys at all the right times. That said, as you noted before, all the right guys were, uh, you know, bad with the exception of David Price. Yep. The Red Sox have a really good bullpen, but almost nobody in it other than Price has pitched well so far. Uh, so that obviously has to change. Um, the other thing is it seems really unlikely that the Red Sox are going to win any of those games two to one, two to nothing. They're going to have to score some runs. Two is not going to get it done. Um, and that is going to mean having some extra base hits. You know, you can't, you can't get through a game with a double and five singles. That's just not going to cut it. Um, they're going to need a little bit of luck. They've hit the ball hard. Really not much, but when they have hit it hard, frequently it's gone right at a Houston fielder. Mm -hmm. So some of those are going to need to fall in. Um, you know, they've got, they have had a little bit of luck in the sense that, you know, they've had some, some pretty weak contact go for, go for hits. Mookie's double in the first, first game. Um, I think it was game two. In any case, he hit a ball just over the first baseman's head, sort of into no man's land, and it just rolled for a while. Um, you know, some of that, a little more of that, it would be quite helpful. So I think they're going to need, they're going to need to play a lot better. They're going to need to, um, you know, get a little lucky. And Farrell's going to need to pull all the right strings. Maybe none of that is great analysis. It's kind of obvious, I guess. I, I think one um, one factor that could be um, important is getting back home to Boston. Yep, uh, that's huge for them. They pitch better and they hit a lot better at home throughout they the do. entire year. Yeah, they do. And And I think, you know, the beginnings of both those games have just been so dispiriting the the way that you know the the Astros come out just crushing the ball and the fans are screaming and yelling and waving towels and cowbells and banging on whatever it is that they bang on down there in Houston um Red Sox skulls yeah <laughs> podcast over <laughs> um, so uh I think it would be nice for the Red Sox to come out in game three score some runs in the first inning and for the you know the Fenway fans to let them hear it for that um, I think that would go a long way to uh, getting us to a game four. In a game I, four, do you see a scenario where David Price pitches? Do you think that that's a possibility? Maybe I we would could try start pitch, the game? I would try to pitch David Price as many innings as I possibly could, whatever the constitution of, of that is. Um, you know, if he can pitch in game three, I would pitch him in game three. I mean, the Reds, I guess there's two ways to look at it. One is there's no game four if, there's, if you don't win game three. The other is it doesn't matter unless you win all three. Right. Right. So the whole thing, well, should they bring sale back on short rest to me? I, I would say 
no. Why would you do that? You've got to win game four and game five. Sale right. needs to one of those. You need to win the other one also. So you need to come up with the best possible, you know, starting pitching uh, that you can do that. Uh, so, so you can do that and sail at, you know, the most rest possible is probably gives you gives you your best chance to win one of those games. I mean, if they can win two in Boston and go back to Houston with Chris Sale on the mound for a game five, I think we'd all feel the best that you possibly can in that situation, right? Like even a bad Chris Sale, there's just we know enough about this guy and his ridiculous constitution as a human being that like even though he clearly is fatigued and his arm slots off and you know things aren't going the way that they're supposed to go for Chris Sale, right. for one game, this guy can beat anybody at any time. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And um I you know, I think do you remember 2004 after the after the losing the first three games to the Yankees in the ALCS? Oh yeah, I remember 2004. <laughs> <laughs> that was just the beginning to a sense. I know you remember 2004. <laughs> uh, so after losing the first three um, to the Yankees, um, you know the Red Sox seemed to the, the the talk around uh, around the town seemed to be let's just win one, let's not get swept. That should be our goal at this point. You know, let's have some dignity. If we're going to lose this series, let's not get swept. Yep. And that's kind of what I'm feeling right now. Let's not get swept. Let's show them, show this team that we can, you know, we can beat them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'd like this group to get a playoff win. This group doesn't yeah. know what a playoff win is right now. It's true. It's true. And sad. Uh, and you get the sense that if they do get swept and it's eight to two again, that there are going to be some changes this off season, maybe, uh, some changes that are, you know, would be a little bigger <laughs> than than we might like, and there'll certainly be lots of time to discuss the possibilities and then the, the actualities. Um, but I, I would like to see some hint uh, that this team belongs on the field with the Houston Astros. Um, I'm not talking about winning the series. I'm not talking about winning the next two. I'm talking about winning one of them, um, or at least keeping it close through the middle innings <laughs> right so they're not dead yet um and no. and that's the important takeaway from this podcast is that they're not dead yet and despite what you may read from me on twitter they're not dead yet um so disregard all my tweets um yes, I, I have no capability of being rational uh, other than when i speak on a podcast right now um but the, the 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 last thing I want to say before we kind of wrap things up here is that yeah. if the Red Sox are to fall to this Houston Astros team, um, I don't know that this is necessarily a huge indictment on the Red Sox. I mean, it is. Certainly there is a huge amount of blame for the Red Sox to take if they are to fall in this series. But the, the thing that I want to point out is that this year in baseball – there are so many freaking good teams, and not just like good teams, like really, really good teams. Like yeah, right. past 20 years, really good teams uh, in the Astros, the Indians, and the Dodgers. Um, yeah. And and then even some of the the tertiary good teams like the Washington Nationals and the Cubs and like the the Yankees even um, yeah. have had really good run differentials and had amazing seasons. So. Uh, the Red Sox are a good team. They're a really good baseball team, and in most years, this would be a more competitive team, I think, than yeah. they're looking like now. It's just 
they're running into some juggernauts and uh they need to they need to do a lot of things right for them to win any games yeah no i i agree and uh you know getting injured and dropping balls and throwing meatballs over the plate uh, are not good ways to go about that um (laughs) i think i think there's better baseball uh ahead for this team whether it is um you know in this series um you know even in the next series or uh next season uh i i think a lot of the young players on this team have taken steps back this season uh you know certainly from what we've seen from them previously in their careers and uh and i think there is you know i don't think we've seen the best of mookie Betts. i don't think we've seen the best of xander bogarts um i definitely don't think we've seen the best of andrew benintendi um so I, I think there is there's more to come from this uh, this group, um, and there is a lot to be excited about uh, in in that way. Um, yeah, I mean I'm excited for growth from Devers too. I mean there's just so many guys that this team this team still has one of the brightest futures in all of baseball. There are, there are very few organizations that wouldn't want to swap rosters with the Red Sox right now. Yeah, unfortunately, one of them uh, that wouldn't is probably uh, on the other side of the field from the Red Sox. So, Fair uh, point. Yep. that's that's the way that goes, I guess. Carlos um, Correa is sort of what we all go to sleep dreaming that Xander Bogarts can someday become. Yeah, we've had this conversation before, Jake, about Bogarts, and I think you know there'll be lots of time during the offseason to discuss you know what he's turned into as a player. But yeah, I think that's exactly right what you just said. You know, Correa is the guy that we all hoped Bogarts could be, and he is very much not that guy at, at this point in his career. Um, and I'm increasingly, uh, you know, doubting that that he's ever going to come anywhere close. Um, We're going to have to do an entire podcast this off season on Xander Bogarts because he is quickly becoming one of the most under the radar polarizing figures um, on this Red Sox team, which is he drives me crazy. He, oh! he drives everyone he's crazy and he's just not <laughs> i know he's he's uh he's still my favorite member of the red sox and uh i i think it's just because i've been following him since he was essentially a freaking child because he yeah, I mean, came I to the organization they, you know, they signed a baby um yeah it's it's crazy that uh it just hasn't all come together in, in one season for him yet but nope. there, i just keep seeing enough to make me not think that it's never going to happen like i i there's just so much hope still um because he does things that you're like oh man only like five people in baseball can do what he just did right there and then he also goes cold for three months at a time and can't hit a breaking ball so uh yeah 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 well that's that's a tale for another podcast so any closing uh statements for for our listeners out there before they uh Listen to this the day that the Red Sox play perhaps their final game of 2018. Hopefully not, though. I think that the Red Sox do, in contrast to last year against the Indians, um, I think the Red Sox have more fight in them. Um, I don't think they're going to go out 8-2 to two again. I, I think that they're going to have a lead in this game, maybe even later in the game. I don't know that they're going to win, but I think that they, uh, they've they got more, uh, more fight in them than, than the last season's version showed in the playoffs against the Indians. Um, this team has come back over and over and over and over again this season, um, oftentimes in games, oftentimes uh, in the standings. Um, and, uh, you know, they've, they've defeated some teams that are, you know, demonstrably better than them. 
So I think this is another chance to show that. And, and I'm going on record now as expecting the Red Sox to somehow, even with Doug Fister on the mound, uh, win game three. So we will see how that turns out. Probably horribly wrong. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm gonna hop on your uh, your train of optimism there. I do think they will take one, uh, and and I'll echo what you said. They've just been too good in close games this year, and fought back, and uh, just had an incredible record in one run games and extra inning games. So I, I think that something's got to give here, and I think it'd be really important for this group to just be able to build off of one playoff yeah. win uh, against a team of the Astros quality. So. Absolutely. Uh, they ain't yeah. dead yet. Something something uh, does have to give, and hopefully that's not the knee or wrist of some other member of the Red Sox. Yes. We don't need any wrist injuries uh, to Mookie Betts that uh, are, are really serious because Dustin Pedroia can tell him those are bad. Yes, they are. And yeah. Nomar can tell him those are bad. And, uh, and Ortiz. Yeah, now I just blacked out from, uh, <laughs> from thinking about all those things. So... Um, <laughs> No, don't don't do that to my Mookie. All right. Uh, um, so a little housekeeping before we get out of here. Um, if you like this podcast, please go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the other uh, services that stream podcasts. You can also rate and review us there. We really appreciate any reviews that you give us because that's how we get in new ears uh, for people to listen to us. You can find Matt on Twitter at, at MattyMatty2000. You can find myself on Twitter at, at @devjake, and we will be with you, win or lose, next week to either wrap things up or preview the ALCS. So, whoa, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a possibility. It is. Uh, it is. So, so stay with us, guys. We will have plenty more coverage uh, either way. And, uh, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening.